Hey, I'm Dina. I'm Nikki. And we're your hosts for CBD Magcast. CBD Magcast is devoted to the legalization of cannabis and its impact in your community. Cannabis Concierge, the expert and discreet service of cannabis procurement for the individual or retailer. These buds are for you. great today because we're here interviewing Sarah Smith running for U.S. representative. It was fantastic to uh, get a chance to have some of your time. So thank you for being here with us. Exciting that Ryan from Dynamic Harvest and we're going to just get right into it. All right. Sounds great. These mental health crises were being dismissed because people were like, oh yeah, I'm sure you have anxiety. Here's your green card. But now people can talk about it like, no, no, I, I really do. And that's why I want weed. The people that just want to get high can just go get high. And also who cares? It's not hurting anybody. It's a victimless crime. It's between you yourself and the person selling you weed. It has nothing to do with anybody's outside influence. I feel the same about sex work, actually. I'm all about the legalization and regulation of sex work because it's two consenting adults engaging in an exchange that they both are okay with. So what issues are you, um, you know, your platform, um, what are you campaigning on right now? I'm, what are most I important a, to you right now? So. Oh man, I have a hugely progressive platform. I think the strongest issue I'm campaigning on right now is not taking any corporate money. So I believe in the corrupting influence of corporate cash in our political system. So I don't take any corporate money and one of my cornerstones is getting corporate money out of politics and creating publicly funded elections. And that actually I think ties directly into the cannabis industry as a whole. You see pharmaceutical companies that want to keep legal weed legislation out of the picture and they're very effective in buying legislators who are going to do that for them. What's going on right now is we're seeing things like legalizing marijuana, which a majority of, of Americans want to see. It's not hitting the floor with any kind of support. It's just sitting in the house with co-sponsorships, never going to a vote. And that's because of the stranglehold of corporate money. There's a lot of money involved. I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars. Washington State's already made a billion dollars in tax revenue alone, almost a billion dollars. It goes the other way too though. I mean, there's lobbyists that are working from big corporations that are working, trying to grease the palms of politicians as well to legalize it as well. So it does mm -hmm. go both ways. Yeah. Um, and that's just corruption. It's been happening for a very long time. So I think that's a, oh, yes. that's a very important um, aspects that you know campaign on so yeah i have a strong progressive platform on single-payer medicare for all debt for education student debt relief fighting climate change all that stuff is hugely important to me but completely impossible until we eliminate the influence of corporate money in our system we're not going to get a progressive agenda passed the corporate overlords won't let us until we pry their fingers off the table and we take it back so how do you do that because i mean the almighty dollar has been king for a very long time and it does influence people i mean mm -hmm. how do you change that there has to be an entire shift in the way people think yep the big way we do it is we start with our campaigns right we start with ourselves as legislators if I want to make the demand that we've publicly funded elections then I have to be willing to publicly fund my own campaign and so I think that's the biggest way we can make that happen is show that it's lead possible. by example yeah lead by example people are they're really distrustful politicians for a lot of very good reasons but I think one of the main reasons that we see that distrust is because they always violate their own promises and they violate their own their own rule of order, but by setting the example and showing not only am I going to try to get other people to do it, I'm going to do it myself and I'm going to do it successfully and win. I think that's a huge encouragement for other people like me who are going to run these kinds of campaigns and win and start to push for publicly funded elections. Certainly. So I'm a huge Bernie Sanders supporter. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Don't be shocked. Uh, that's, uh, that's conducive with his platform as well. Yeah. A lot of parallels there too. What other social issues are important to you right now? Uh, man, a lot. I mean, we talked about legalizing marijuana 
marijuana, ending for-profit prisons and private prisons, the for-profit detention centers, uh, the 13th Amendment, amending it so that it, you can no longer profit off of the labor of prisoners, mm-hmm. and or slavery is legal if you're a prisoner. There's a lot of social issues that I care a lot about. One of my biggest ones is student debt relief and debt-free education, because one of the biggest things about having a powerful workforce is you have to educate that workforce. And when you educate that workforce under the burden of an $80,000 to $120,000 when they get out the gate, they can't really use that education. They have to fight to survive and work jobs that they're overqualified for just to make ends meet. And so we're stagnating a lot of our workforce because of this gigantic student debt bubble that not enough people are talking about. It's about $1.5 trillion. And there's a website that tracks it. It scares the hell out of me because it, it shows the number going up at all t- in real time. Um, but it's really, really scary. And that bubble is going to burst. And when it bursts, it's nice to have this got mine I, attitude that a lot of people in the very far right have. But the student debt bubble bursting is not going to care what side of the aisle you sit on. It is going to affect everybody catastrophically. It's already affecting us catastrophically. People can't buy houses. They can't start families. They can't live their lives. They can't consume. They can't buy. They can't participate in the economy that they're propping up on their backs. Mm -hmm. And it's largely the millennial generation. And we're the largest workforce and the largest voting pool. But we have the least representation in Congress. And so if we want to talk about these social issues that affect real people and that affect young people and that affect work working people. We need to elect young working people who see this stuff and who see the effect and who are diligent and forthright enough in their policies and their values to fight for it. Well, and that's my big thing is that everybody has a chance to sit there and say we'd like to do this, but what is the physical effort that you're going to make when you're in the House of Representatives to get anybody else attached to you so that you can accomplish any of this stuff. And that's one of the big things is everyone always asks me, how are you planning on getting this done? So one of the cool ways I'm doing it is I'm running on a slate of candidates with brand new Congress and Justice Democrats are two of the big organizations. Um, but what they've both come together and done is they've formed this slate of candidates running on a lot of the same values and, and most of the same core tenants and principles and no corporate money and all that stuff. Um, Alex Ocasio-Cortez was the big win in New York who elevated a lot of us. I'm crossing my fingers for Cori Bush and Lindsey Fagan and all of them too. Um, We only need six of us to get into Congress to shift the entire balance of power in favor of progressives. And that's, people don't realize that we only need a single digit amount of people to change a 435 person Congress. I got chills, but at the same time, you also have in firmly entrenched and you have fear and you also have control. So even though like you're saying, it's all corporate money, people say the government's awful, but the government has been co-opted and written by big business exactly. and they don't get that we, the people are the government. So if we want it to not be terrible, we have to take the influence out. Like you're saying the corporate influence. But they're still there, and they're going to be not six of you, but the other how many hundreds that are firmly entrenched. How are you going to get past them? So one of the best ways we can do it is we're we're all going into this with, we've been working with people who write legislation already. So when we go into office, we actually have pre-formed, pre-prepared bills that we want to introduce on day one for all of this stuff. Yeah, we've been planning ahead. We're ready to go. But that's unusual. Yes, it is. People don't usually do that. They wait till they're elected to write legislation. And then they let folks like Alec do it, which then are written for corporations, (laughs) which then cause us all the trouble. So you quite literally have legislation in... Yes. You you basically have to force a vote. So the majority majority speaker has to bring the bill to the floor for a vote or allow it to be brought to the floor for a vote. So basically what we get to do is, even though it's only six people, that's a really, really, really loud bully pulpit that we get to work with. And the people that are best suited to pressure their representatives are their constituents. Um, With this preformed caucus we want to go in with, 
with that new epicenter for progressive power, we have a lot of influence. Alex Ocasio-Cortez already has more followers on Twitter than any other House representative except for Paul Ryan. And I think she actually might be edging in on him now. I think she's actually about to surpass him. That's a huge audience in a lot of places and on Twitter. And everyone thinks that, oh, it's just social media. It's just social media is what's getting us elected. It is what's getting elected. Yeah. In fact, their position on stage um, during the Republican convention where they were during the debates was based on the amount of Twitter followers that they had. Which is why <laughs> Trump was front and center at the beginning of the election. And we see the influence that that had on that his, you know, getting elected. And so huh. they because they, there were so many candidates, they didn't know where to place them on stage in the and first in the first influence. two debates that they had during the Republican. That's interesting. Debates. I didn't know that. Yeah, that is very mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. And, it and so happen. it's everything. That's really cool. Wow. Yeah, it's it a really huge is. Aspect, and yeah. I mean, one of the ways that we can use our influence is we have to remember too that we're we're federal legislators, which means that everything we do, we should be looking at whole picture from coast to coast for everybody in the nation. And that means we have the ability to go to these places where we think there's likely reps who could be swayed to our side. We have the ability to go into these communities to work with their grassroots organizations and to fight with their grassroots organizations to push their representatives towards our side. We have a lot of influence to be able to do that in these areas, and we have to stop being afraid to go to other states and other districts and be and empower these people. What they that's want. what you're up against. Exactly. I mean, that's a game that's yeah, being played that you're not winning against at this point. It's hard. Yeah. These people feeling disenfranchised and not heard and devalued and it's being sequestered. Yeah, they're being sequestered. And all we have to do is we have to pull down the barriers and we have to bring them together. That's what they did in Kansas, right? They went to Kansas, who's supposed to be, oh no, it's too red. You can't win there. Progressives can't win there. Yeah, well, the 4,000 people who showed up for debt free education, living wage, and Medicare for all would beg to differ with you in the state mm -hmm. of Kansas. Um, so but that's the other thing. Real quick, we're talking about all of the types of things that you want to cure, all of the social commons that we all use. And nobody uses the term commons anymore, which I like to bring back. Tom Hartman, who does a radio show, is very big on educating on the actual commons and the use of that terminology. And it houses your civil services, your social services, the fire, the police, um, how many schools you have, what level from elementary, junior high, high school, uh, post office, different things like that. You're going to be on a federal level. We need to enact things on a state level. What is your priority to ensure that you don't overreach or overstep the responsibility of the federal House of Representatives and flourish the state level so that we can be better at what we're doing here in our own state? Sure. I actually think that's really important. Is I, As a federal representative, I actually feel like it is an obligation of mine to help elevate progressive uh, incumbents and candidates and, and people that have this progressive message that are trying to bring prosperity into the state. It's part of my obligation to use my stage to elevate those candidates and give them a bigger platform on which to speak. So I think it's important to be cognizant of what's going on in our states and in our districts and our state level of government, but I also think we have to see how that fits in with the federal government as well. So I think it is about working hand in hand with your state that you're from, but one of us is focused on a big picture, one of us is focused on a state picture. As far as preventing overreach, that's one of those things where you just have to get into the weeds and have that discussion with the state representatives. Look at the state constitutions that you're, that you're working with listen to all these representatives who are who are telling you no no this is our purview not yours we have this conversation a lot about housing too so the housing crisis that we want to solve a lot of the ways that we can solve it specifically in washington are state level they're not federal level mm -hmm. uh, but being aware of how that works and how the federal level can integrate with state legislation is another really important thing um, so there's a lot of housing advocacy groups too i use this specifically because it's just the most readily available to me 
Um, but housing specifically, there's a lot of housing advocacy groups out there that are coming out and asking us what legislation would you support to help us in the state of Washington and kind of working with them and guiding with them, guiding them towards the, the right avenue. Because you'd be surprised, a lot of these organizations don't realize that it is mostly a state's issue. Um, but getting them in touch with the right people, helping them navigate the state waters, getting them to the legislators that we know are going to be supporting these bills to help amend our constitution for a progressive income tax or for the ability to enact something like market controls for housing prices uh, and rental prices, things like that. Getting them connected with those people at a state level, both it educates them in what they should be fighting, where they should be fighting, where they should be directing their energy, and it also puts them front and center in front of the legislators, and it forces them to, to contend with that on a state level too. Um, and then I think, you know, coupling in federal legislation for social housing and things like that, that's, it's one of those things that's not necessarily overreach because it's nationwide, but it is something that can help an issue that really affects our state disproportionately. So that kind of, for, just for example, that's kind of what, I, what I'm getting at, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah. So as far as cannabis goes, we've talked about how you are for full federal legalization. Yes. Do you do you see that being beneficially impacting on the on the country as a whole, or you know, do you see states being able to blossom more just by their own individual legalization? I think exponentially, that's going to be a nationwide benefit. Legalizing it. I mean, one of the statistics I like to talk about has nothing to do with weed at all, but criminal justice and the burden we have right now on our criminal justice system. So right now, a, a black person is eight times as more likely, more likely to be incarcerated for a cannabis-related crime than a white person, but usage is the exact same among both groups. Legalizing weed, it's not just about getting cannabis legalized, it's about freeing up our, our prison population, getting people out of jail, uncoupling ourselves from the private prison industry. It's not just about uh, cannabis justice, it's also about racial justice and social justice too. They tie in intimate. It's for a lot of crimes, though, not just cannabis consumption. Yeah, you know, it's for a lot of crimes. higher scales, even though the crimes are committed at equal levels. Yeah, you know, exactly. Races, so. And this is just one where I have the statistics right back in my head. <laughs> Um, but I mean, you know, cannabis too, we see we've had billions of dollars in revenue in the state of Washington, which has allowed us to fund our education system. Um, we could do this on a national level. We could fund K-12 education with legalized cannabis. Um, it would change the tax code so that you could actually write off business-related expenses for your cannabis facilities, which you can't do right now because it's federally illegal, but it's legal at the state level. Um, it also ends that weird, confusing, can I take my weed pen with me in the air? What are the rules? What can I, can I go here? where it's also legal uh, it just uh, it abandons that because now people that are in legal states never know if they're really committing a crime or not so just on a personal level i mean just for people nationwide if they know oh it doesn't matter i can take it anywhere well now federally you can't travel with alcohol either yeah. so mm -hmm. i mean that would be yeah so probably <laughs> couple them together Another, yeah, yeah, to, to crack open huh yeah but it takes the wonder out of it which i think is just nice from a social perspective as well how do you stop big business from co-opting it then? The biggest concern we all end up with is R.J. Reynolds is going to come buy us out. What about that sustainability? What about maybe flour? Uh, clones can go out of state, but flour itself can only be grown in or something. Is there any conversation at all about not allowing it to just be co-opted and taken over? This is something that we actually have had conversation on our in our campaign about is how do we stop big business from taking over? But I think we have to approach just generally how do we stop big businesses from putting out small businesses? Yes. Um, I want to see more small business incentive, more small grower incentive. I want to see bigger small business and grower incentive. 
I also want to see things like, well, I just want to focus on worker empowerment as a whole overall in the economy. And I think that plays directly into the cannabis industry, especially propping up things like co-ops, like we're owned businesses and things like that. I think but putting I think, a restriction on licenses too has done that too. Yeah. So and and I'd be interested and to- And canopy limits. So you can't just open up a farm that's a hundred acres, yeah. you know, in Washington state at least. Right now. This, yeah, 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 right so now. In Oregon you can, and it's, it's, a, it's a mess down there and there's no money. So there's, there's no canopy limits in Oregon. So okay. if you have a license, you can have as big of a grow space as you want. Where in Washington, the limit is 30,000 square feet per license. That's so, really interesting. I think something like that would probably be good, but I mean, just, I haven't looked at something like regulating flour and things like that. But I mean, you know, it is a conversation that we're having is how do we stop that from happening? Cause it is a concern. A lot of our, a lot of our volunteers do participate in cannabis, myself included. And so we are concerned about that because then you get into pricing and then you get into like, what's the Walmart of the cannabis industry and things like that. So it is a big question that we have the chance to head on right now. And so I think it is a good conversation to be having in our campaign. And that's the fear I think is that cannabis legalization is is snowballing and rolling so, so fast mm-hmm. that all we need as an industry really is for the DEA to reschedule cannabis yeah and then that changes the the climate completely but when it does that that snowball effect is going to be so fast because it opens the doors for research prepared yeah for how to do that in a way that benefits the communities and benefits the people you know it becomes another alcohol problem yeah so and i mean i think it's important too with legislation i don't think we see this enough i always talk about proactive politics i'm a thinker person i like to think about stuff and i like i'm very i have a lot of foresight so i like to i like to take that into legislation when i talk about it but i think having the ability to to control the snowball effect on our terms right now is really really important it's going to be really critical to making sure that this kind of legislation benefits the communities as much as possible Possible. So I think that it's it is a good conversation to be having. Now is the time to start thinking about like, okay, cool, we want to legalize weed. How do we do it in a holistic way that doesn't hurt the people that are already growing, that doesn't hurt the small businesses that are already at the head of this whole movement? How do we do that? And I think right now is when we have to be thinking about it. Yeah, that's the way I look at all legislation as well. In 10 years, what is this gonna look like? In 20 years, what is this gonna look like? And it's important to think about now with the whole movement to do it arrest the influence of corporate money in politics, I think that also handles a lot of that kind of thing. Because lobbying, lobbying goes away, and special interest groups go away. But you get rid of a lot of that influence and it allows, it, it's, so it kind of tempers a little bit of the corporate money in politics, that, or with the corporate money in politics thing, it kind of tempers a little bit of how it goes into legislation, which is good. Uh, but we really do need to keep a, a holistic view in mind anytime we look at legislation. Where is this going to be 10 years down the line? It's the reason I support Barbara Lee for Continuous Speaker. She had was the only vote to have the foresight to say no to the authorized use of military force. And that's the kind of leadership and the kind of politics we need to start being engaged in. Is what does it look like in 10 years? That's definitely true. Yeah, the, the foresight is, is huge. Having a plan, knowing that that plan will probably not stay on track, but yeah. having a plan anyways is so crucial to being able to deal with going off the rails. Of course, and I mean, I, I'm, you can ask my poor husband, I'm an erotic planner. <laughs> I have plans A through um, sub Z12. <laughs> I love having plans and outs and I always I always look at things from the perspective of okay cool this is what we want to do what if something bad happens here or here or here or here and then have plans for all of them so I think that's the kind of legislating we need to start having an office right now uh, we need to start and how do you get around that how do you get around all those obstacles you're going into something that is in control of making sure what bill goes out the purse strings you have so much control on everything that happens 
how are you going to get around what's already so firmly entrenched? That's a, been one of the huge questions. And I, I talk about using that pulpit a lot because that's a really important one. Because if we start having these struggles and these people refuse to budge, we get to say, we're going to use our pulpit. We are going to come after you and we are going to support your opponent. And if you don't have an opponent, we'll find one for you. That gives us the influence and the ability to sway people, not just in one vote, but to sway them using their whole seat. Because if we could win it using no corporate money and doing it on a progressive platform and staying committed to our values, we just got to find one person that fits that same bill and will join us and will be on our side. And I am more than happy to go down to whatever state it is and I will spend 10 months if I have to campaigning for that other person to make sure that that pulpit is used to get that other person out of that seat. Um, with I talk about the, the six person influence, if we have even more than that, which we actually stand a really strong chance of having even more than just that six person number, we're looking at more like I think 10 to 15 that could happen as early as August 7th actually, which is crazy. Uh, and some later on in November we'll know for sure, but I mean, we, we could double that number, feasibly triple it if we're doing really, really well. That's a huge pulpit. And that's a huge influence. It's a huge amount of power that we're going to be able to use to sway people into good legislation and to sway people into saying, absolutely not, we're not bargaining on these things anymore. And do you have an interest also to be out there almost every day saying, this is physically how your legislation works, how your civics works, this is where you need to vote in your state so that I can do something about it? Are you willing, in your group of this age, willing and understanding how important it is to reteach the physical process of our civics and every day to go out there and say, you have to do this and this and this and this behavior if you wanna see this change. I can only tell you about it and then I can enact it. But you can't do much more than that. Yeah. So my big concern is, will you guys really be out there teaching us what it is that we're supposed to do, not just vote, but how do you find out better about that campaign? How do you find out? Thank you. Yeah, that's that's one of the things we actually really want to do. Our campaign has had lots of discussions about this, about accountability, how to engage the community. So one of the things that I want to do with the office, I think it's, someone gave me a terrifying figure. It is $900,000 per month that I am given to run my whole operation in the district. Um, it's, it's yearly, Daniel said it was monthly. Okay, it's yearly. So that's so. a little less scary. Yeah, it's a little less it's definitely more money than I have I will ever see in my entire life but uh, still very it's still very intimidating but we've actually talked about using a portion of that to specifically work on a community outreach office and I kind of want to pilot it specifically in this district because I think we're a really good district for that kind of office to work one of my volunteers is really really enthusiastic about community engagement and community participation we are door hangers right now actually have instructions on where to go to find your ballot box they have everything that you could possibly need we're, we're sticking on people's doors, we're handing them to people, we're trying to get people not just to vote for me, but to know where they can vote and how. And that's been hugely important to us. And I think that by engaging a community office that does a much larger scale version of that, uh, works on connecting grassroots organizations together, coalesces them around uh, various topics that they're they're all passionate about, that's out there talking to candidates or, or potential candidates or, or nominees or, or people that are in office and helping them figure out what their message is, get them tools and resources they need to run, and then using our resources to engage the community around them. That's, re that's something that's really near and dear to my heart. And then talking about just how legislation works, how it works, right? I hate being in the dark about things. There's still some things about the process of, of getting bills passed or, or writing legislation that I don't know. And I actually, this, I don't even know if I've told my campaign manager this. One of the things I'd love to do is just a series of short videos walking people through each step of the process yes. as I learn it. 
Yep. Because that way I can just be present and explain it to people. And then if I'm able to get that into a more formal setting, maybe working with educators to see if we can do a formal video series that they can show in high schools or something like that. You know, we used to have that on TV yeah. and cartoons in the 70s. And it used to be Mr. Bill. He'd come out oh, yeah. and he'd talk I about remember. how to do the bill, right? And I we love that. because that's 2000s. Yeah. still using it. <laughs> and, and they're still using it, but it's it's perfectly relevant. Yeah. Of it. But I think you're right about being able to create fun, easy simple steps mm -hmm. about what it's like. One of the things that I've talked about too is you even look at our constitution and our forefathers could never have accounted for the internet when they were talking about free speech. They could never have accounted for AR-15s when they were writing the second amendment. Never ever could they have done that. So a lot of these older pieces of legislation could have never accounted for where technology was gonna bring us. So it's important that we do go back and revisit those older pieces of legislation and then maybe try and have that foresight and that vision of where where are we gonna be in 10, 15 years? Where, where, what is this going to look like to our society in 20 years and trying to write to as much as we possibly can of what that future could be. And I mean, one of the things, one of the best ways to combat that too is through our education system as well, which is funded in such a bananas way that doesn't really make any sense at all right now to our current educational climate. Um, but with federal funding, we don't specifically, when we give it to states, we don't specifically earmark it and say this funding is, it should not be based on property values. It's specifically a need-based need-based system. So right now we're funding public schools based off of property values, which is why Bellevue has really nice schools and Kent is about to go on a teacher strike. Um, but I mean, and they're in the same district and they have such a huge disparity because the property values in Kent aren't as high as they are in Bellevue. With federal dollars, we should be using that to fix that, that problem. And then when we stop treating education like a piggy bank and we actually properly fund all of our federal education programs, we can do things like reintroduce civics. We can do things like reintroduce um, teaching methodologies that show kids how it is that legislation works. Uh, we can show kids about the process. We can talk to kids about how to get involved. We can do things like have after school programs again that can get kids involved in these things. So I think a lot of it too comes down to quite literally the actual funding of K through 16 education. <laughs> now, can you do that on your Instagram account or on your Twitter account? Can you you just put out every day a little something about that and not wait for anybody and let people just pick up after you and, and have this become part of what uh, a representative or a legislative person does? Well, that's what I want to do. I want to do things that set a better example for other legislators because being out in the district canvassing all the time, everyone at, at their doors, I've had to correct people. They're like, it's Pramila, our representative. She's all over my, my uh, Instagram feed and my Facebook and my Twitter. She's all over the place telling me about all these things and explaining all these bills, and explaining all these movements. People are seeing this stuff and they're all like, well, why is my legislator doing that? And so the more legislators that do it, the more it becomes the norm. And the more, you, if you don't do it, people are not really gonna know who you are, but they'll vote for the guy who does do it. So, I mean, I think that's another huge area of opportunity to lead by example. I think um, Gavin Newsom did a good job with that. Yeah, we yeah. live in a, a, I like to use the term post human because I really do believe that we are in a place where, I mean, social media at the very least means so much in our personal physical lives yeah and that that community outreach i mean humans are just looking to be told what to do because they we pick up information based on what we see and that is so convoluted right now with the amount of information overload so i mean every generation that wants to be involved that doesn't know how to be involved anymore mm -hmm. because the older generation doesn't know how an online ballot works yeah. So, I mean, the, that communication and, and really, you know, kind of spoon feeding people right now is important to get this country back into a place of less tension, right? Yeah. 
And I mean, I think too, uh, explaining to people how to get involved is another huge thing that I think it's another lead by example moment. Pramila's really good about elevating organizations and saying, if you want to volunteer for this cause, here's where you go. And that's what I want to do. I want to lift up these other organizations that are doing this work. So people, when I first started getting very active, I didn't know where to go. I was like, cool, I have all this energy and I don't know where to put it. Um, but I mean, if, if my legislator had been there being like, if you have all this energy, here's where to put it, that would have been really helpful for me to know. Um, and then instead I do something crazy, like run for Congress. So <laughs> <laughs> what could have been avoided if someone told me where to go channel my energy? Um, but I mean, I think that's really important is working with organizations and making sure that the resources are readily available, not just on your campaign website, but on your house website, that you include them in your town halls. You bring these organizations with you. You let people table at your town halls. It's a really good way to use this this idea of leading by example and showing other legislators and other communities and other districts it can be done a better more informative more transparent way and we're we're in an era of transparency in politics especially young people that's what we want we want transparency and one of the best ways you can give them transparency is say these are the organizations i like and i support and if you support these kinds of things too here's where to go yeah. it's all it all wraps up together in that transparency thing and that's really it's critical to me it's really important so i love i love ideas that come at me for how to also engage the community because I think it's really important. Totally, yeah, I think we've established that most folks do want Adele because they want to see how it works. Mm -hmm. you know, it's less about things just looking nice anymore. Yeah, we can't just say, we can't just slap a sticker on it and say, good enough. Yeah, I mean, we've been suffering under good enough politics for a really long time, and we need some kind of change. But if we want that change, we have to make that change. Well, we just got so. a billions of dollars worth of tax cuts in the last couple of days here for the richest rich oh, and roll rich. Yeah, this was a big butterfly air quote since we're on the radio, and very sarcastic. So it is a big deal, and I think one of the things I do like about a younger generation. There's no lot that's hidden in your generation. There's not, a, everything is exposed and available to be seen. I think naturally we'll start to see a progression. What I worry about is how long is it gonna take us to get there and how fast can you get there? Or do you need to redistrict or you just need to find the better person in that district? You know. So I'm looking forward to see how you step the next forward with an app that is interactive for people who like to do that. Uh, Trash for Cash, Clean for Green is a program I put forward. Yeah, it's that's kind of where we're at. We're in an era of creative politics, right? We have to get creative. How can we help the most amount of people and do the most amount of good all at once? Yeah. And I mean, I think we get into our heads, especially a lot of the long-term 20, 30-year legislators get into their own heads that all these issues are separate. Homelessness is not the same as a recycling problem or as a trash problem. Right. Um, it's Healthcare is not related in any way, shape, or form to living wages. But they're not. All of these issues, they, they cohere together and they all integrate in some way. Homelessness relates to medical coverage, relates to cannabis. It's all social service. Wages. It's exactly. all social service. It's all like an HR department in a company. That's what we all are on, uh, out here. And yep. we need some form of HR. I don't think we need an overreach and overstep, but we need some form of HR. We yeah. need some, somebody there just to help, you know, for those who aren't strong enough to do it on their own and smart yeah. enough to leave the rest alone. And everyone's talking about things like, oh, but what if it doesn't work? What if it, what if it creates this or does this? Or what if it leads to this problem? And we try to have the best foresight we can and we do as much as we can. And we try to just look ahead towards this, these pieces of legislation and try to plan for 20, 30 years down the line. But we, we have to take a step forward. We have to do as much as we possibly can, plan for as much as we possibly can, but we have to take a step because the problem is only going to get worse. It is not going to get better. And unless someone is standing up and willing to do something about it, it'll never change. 
And so that's what I think this whole movement nationwide is about. It's about people being ready to take that step forwards. And I think it's, it's hugely important that we have creative ideas in our legislating and that we are able to look and have that foresight and we're able to lead by example. This is the kind of leadership that people are craving right now. And uh, 2018 is a prime time for candidates that are really trying to create actual change and they're trying to do something different with politics and, and bring a different angle to politics that resonates with people. I talk about living in a post-recession America all the time. It's, it's different than it was 20 years ago. The whole landscape is completely different and we need to have our politics represent that. We need creativity and fresh voices and fresh vision in our, in our political system. And I think now is the best time for that to happen. And I think it's, we all stand a really good chance of making it happen. So I'm pretty excited about, I'm excited about the election season. <laughs> you do feel a swell in a, in a positive direction because we really need that from every individual as well as elected officials. We need that to be the swell in the children, in their mm-hmm. parents. And so it's nice to know that you quite literally being out there every day campaigning for this, that you're seeing this type of of upswing. Oh yeah, I mean, being out in the community, what part of the reason I love canvassing so much, and our volunteers, we love bringing them back in so we can all kind of debrief and talk about good experiences, bad experience, what worked, what didn't, but overwhelmingly, now that ballots are out, the experience has been incredible. We had one kid who canvassed, I think, 500 houses, and he's like, I can count on one hand the amount of votes the incumbent got. And everyone was excited. There was a guy that just called today. One of our canvassers was out, and he was so passionate when he was pitching the campaign to this guy that he called our campaign. He's like, I just told my whole city block to cast their ballots for Sarah because he was just so excited about it. And I'm just, I wanted to call and let you guys know. Someone is taking the effort to call a political campaign and talk about one of our canvassers because of his energy. And it's hard not to feel that positive groundswell. I got all goosebumps. (laughs) I know, me too. And every time you turn on the news, it's, it's something horrible that Trump tweeted. There's all this horrible stuff in politics. We have to have some kind of light in the darkness. And we have to have positivity in our politics somewhere. And I think that this progressive movement is that light in the darkness. It's, it's showing people that we have a choice, we have a voice, and we have the ability to fight to keep that voice all the way to D.C. But I, I do feel a lot of positive energy. I'm really optimistic. I'm a clinical optimist about everything. So <laughs> I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, I think bringing that into politics is important. Um, bringing that kind of positive energy and positive attitude, this whole we can fix it attitude is important. It's, it was part of why Obama was so appealing, right? Right. It's because in all of this horrible stuff surrounding wars and the debt and deregulation and people feeling poor and defeated, he offered hope. That was his whole campaign. And he wasn't supposed to take money and then did, and it oh, was yeah. disappointing. And he, wasn't, <laughs> he did all the things that we really wanted, and he would have won. And he didn't have to do that. And yeah. that's what I think really bummed me out about it, is he could have been the first one to show it all the way to the end. Yep. So I'm excited for you to do that, too. And I'm excited for that groundswell to be out there for you. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, I have too. to say that I know at least three different people that have already put their ballots together oh, yes. that have voted for you, too. So, so is this you getting into the primaries? Is that Yes, this is the primary. We, if you had asked us, Three months ago, if we could knock uh, the incumbent out in the primary, I would have said, heck no, we cannot do that. But with the response we've been getting on social media, at people's doors, at different groups we're working with, everyone we're meeting, I, I, I drive past neighborhoods I haven't canvassed in, and I see my own yard signs, which is a really bizarre feeling. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> but I mean, they're in people's 
yards. They're not put on public land. They're people, someone deliberately put it there. And I mean, I, I think we actually stand a chance of not just winning this primary, but of knocking the incumbent out in this primary too. <laughs> I think that'd be really nice. And again, new blood, I think is really conceptually what we're all after. And I'd yeah. like to see it happen throughout all of it. New blood in business, new blood in politics, yeah. new blood in everything. Everywhere. It's yeah. the only, I mean, we talk about innovation. You can't have the same people in power for 50 years and expect innovation to take off all of a sudden. You have to change the balance of power and put new faces in it. I mean, you, I hate what the Democratic Party is trying to do with their New Deal thing. You're trying to sell us a new deal with the same old faces. I don't trust you. <laughs> but when we when we shift those faces and we're like, no, no, this is our new deal. We worked it out with these new people and this is what we're going to fight for. This is our new platform. Then people are more inclined to be like, oh, okay. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're not being allowed into the establishment halls, but we're organizing outside. We're, we're coming in with our own platform. We're going to do it ourselves. If they won't give us new faces, we'll be the new faces and we'll fight for them. So I'm really excited about the energy. I think it's really, really cool. And I love, I'm, I've actually been really loving camping the last couple of weeks. So that's great. <laughs> yeah. And I like the idea too, that you just kick them all to the curb and, and redo it. It's like, if yeah. you didn't, if, if you're fighting for something like, uh, not to be controversial, but to me, the idea of marriage, it, it just doesn't have the best definition to it. Why would you want that? Pick your own. So I kind of like that concept and that this doesn't have the best definition now, but it's not the worst structure. How yeah. about we can give it a different name, we can give it a different effort, and it could still have the same structure, the same backbone, the same support, mm -hmm. but not be the strangle, not yeah, stifle it's like, us. It's like when you have a house and it's old and you say it's got good bones. Yeah. You, you tear everything out, you redo the floors, you, you redo the siding on the walls, but it's still the same bones. And that's kind yeah. of what we're trying to do. We're yeah. trying to use that existing yeah. bone structure and just create a new inside. And it's messy, but boy, when it's done, it's so messy, it's <laughs> aggravating. So nice. And it takes it forever, and then nobody's on time, nobody uh -huh. comes when they say they're going to come. Normal. Yeah, you know, and then you deal with that weird plumbing issue. But when it's said and done, it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> and then you get to just enjoy how nice it is for, you know, another 30 years, and then eventually it'll sell, and someone else will come in and do the same thing. And that's what the whole system is supposed to be. And so I'm excited to be part of the, the, the bullhead movement that's starting this whole thing. But I think after 2018, 2020 is going to be a completely different election cycle. So I'm really excited no matter what happens for 2020. I think people need to start getting excited for 2020 yeah, now. Because get excited. It's, and it's both. going to be ugly, you know? Change, oh, is, yes. change is messy. And, yeah. And, and people are... But People are willing to get their hands dirty now. Yeah, they are. One of the things that's cool is we're showing them that working class people can't afford to do politics. We are not priced out of our own political system. Well, and that was the way it's supposed to be done in the first oh, yeah. place. Yeah. Exactly. And so we're giving back that voice and we're giving back that power. And I think that's going to change everything about 2020. So as cool as 2018 is going to be, I'm always looking 10 steps ahead. And so that's why I'm like, 2020, where do I look now? Yeah. But you almost have to because you yeah. have to get people ready for, again, it doesn't end when you do this one thing. You have to keep it up. It's the only yep. way it gets maintained. You know, you don't just mow your yard once. You have to keep mowing it if it's going to look nice. Sometimes you have to add lime. Mm -hmm. You have to water it for sure. You have to care. And a lot of times realizing how important politics is overall in our lives. It runs everything because it yep. creates our CW codes and that are imposed upon us and regulations. So that's the entire everything that we participate in in the world and if yep. we want to see it shape better we need to do better to be involved everything's political that's what I tell everybody if they tell me don't get political I tell them everything's political so and is that why you got into it like what was the actual thing that got you into it I, my family's always been pretty political they've always had the news on and yelled talked about single-payer systems um, but the thing that really kicked me off was uh, the Iraq war 
I actually had friends in high school who were 18, graduated, went to the military, and were shipped off. Spated in, in walkouts and sit-ins. It was a really near and dear issue to me, but it was the thing that kind of sparked the conversation when I was a high school student. I think it was a sophomore. Um, but it's the thing that kicked that discussion off for me among my whole group of friends. And then I overeducated myself on it. So I knew a lot about what was going on. I had strong opinions as a 15 year old about Condoleezza Rice. Um, <laughs> and didn't we all? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for it because it kept me informed. I just kept keeping up with it. And the fact that I still have to talk about the Iraq war now when I'm 30 years old and I, it's half my life has been spent yelling about the Iraq war. Uh, this is ridiculous, but that's the issue that really kicked me into politics. It really made me political. So I wasn't just surrounded by a cacophony of my parents yelling about politics. I now was a voice in it. I was yelling about it because I got educated and because I got involved. And I mean, I think having people have their aha moment is really important. And you can do that with high school kids. Rose Strauss was the girl that just was 18 years old standing in front of a mic asking a Pennsylvania governor uh, uh, candidate why he takes $200,000 in oil money and why he isn't fighting for climate change. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is an 18 year old girl. She found her passion when she was younger and it was climate change. And most kids right now are, are terrified of climate change. And so you just have to help people find their aha issue that turns them on to realize, oh, everything's political. That was mine. If I had to pick one, it was definitely the Iraq, but still the Iraq war, <laughs> which I hate to say out loud. We're here with Sarah Smith. She's running for U.S. representative. And what's your district here? District 9. District 9. You have a platform of, I think, common sense from what we've heard you talk about today, legalization of cannabis, uh, topics that we were... Uh, we breezed through education, uh, we breezed through housing, uh, prison system, things like that, social justice, racial justice. Yeah. Getting big money out of all of this so that it can go back into community and be a part of our actual lives. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the fact that you, like I say, we're bringing legislation. You're going to be learning about putting that in and passing that as a law, trying mm -hmm. to get it to the point where it does. And you also mentioned that you're going to try very hard to put together some short videos or at mm -hmm. least something that allows you to say, when I was in this process, these five steps occurred that I thought were important to share. Yep. And then if you want to add in any of the muckery, of course, but you know, at least the process. <laughs> <laughs> process itself I want to talk about, but I mean, I think it's important. When I first started at my last job at the auto shop, there was no training manual and I kind of got thrust into it. And when I left, there was a 40 tab training manual because I'm very big on empowering people with information. So I'm really hoping to do this stuff and engage the community and have an opportunity to pilot a lot of these kinds of things and pilot these kinds of changes and get people excited about politics again. <laughs> Absolutely. And also to help influence a larger awareness of our local mm -hmm. state level. We know that that's where the largest effort should go into so that we can take care of ourselves individually and then mm -hmm. have you guys do a minimal effort at coalescing us together for some of that interstate commerce and, yep. you know, that type of thing. But. Yeah, give people the avenues and then let them choose. That's what I'm about. <laughs> Autonomy of self and personal responsibility. I am actually hugely about all those things, so. <laughs> nice. Great. Heroes. Platform to do, so. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your time listening to me. CBD Magcast and Cannabis Concierge are a division of Confidential Monkey Enterprises. Visit us at www.cannabisbeyonddope.com.